Well, again, good morning. Today is the last day of our series Origins. Next week, we're going to start a new series that I have titled Hear Us Roar. And that series is going to look at different women in the Bible and uh, the different things that they have given to us as human beings. Um, teach us the lessons that they've taught us and uh, we'll look at some major characters and maybe some people that you thought are minor characters, but uh, all women that we can learn great lessons from and that God used to further the kingdom. So I hope you'll be excited about that and that you'll invite people to come next week and to uh, partake in that series and, and for what God has um, with us in that. Now, you know, for the last four weeks now today, making it five, that we have talked about evangelism. We've been in Genesis. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about going, thi- going about things the right way. Uh, When I was in sixth grade, I had a Nintendo 64, which I loved, and there was this game uh, called Ready to Rumble Boxing, which was like the coolest game in the world at the time. It had, there was like the real boxing that had like Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson and all those characters, and it was like Fight Night or whatever, and, but this was like Ready to Rumble Boxing. It was more like cartoonish superhero characters, and it looked amazing. The graphics looked amazing. It looked like so much fun. I wanted this game, uh, Exactly. You know, you punch and the controller shakes and breaks. And if you broke your controller like I did, uh, it just knocks at you. It's like <laughs> when it was supposed to vibrate. But mind you, that, that I don't know why I said that. It doesn't matter. But back to the game. Love this game. Wanted this game. Wanted this game for a very, very long time. About two weeks before Christmas, I had come into some money. And what was on my mind? I'm going to get this game. And I was telling, I'm getting this game. I'm going to go buy this game. I was going to get my hair cut. My brother was taking me. There was a game store right next door. I was going to go get this game. And my mom drops the all-time parent hint. You know, Christmas is just around the corner. If you're patient, maybe Santa will bring it to you. And I'm like, okay. So, uh, yeah, totally in one ear, not the other. No, I'm getting this game. So I go and I get my hair cut and I buy this game and I'm excited and I come home and I hold it up and I'm like, look at this. And my mom's face just automatically is like, <clears throat> and I was like, uh-oh, I don't know what I did. I mean, it was my money. I didn't steal money from her. I bought this game. She maybe like told me not to, but did she tell me not to? And so she goes, she walks right up under the Christmas tree, grabs this package about the size of a Nintendo 64 game, unwraps it, and there it is, ready to rumble boxing round two. Round two, it's the newer version of the game that I had wanted for so long that I didn't even know was out yet, and my mom had gotten it for me. But you know what? I didn't get that game because mom says, hey, since you couldn't wait, like I told you to wait and be patient, I'm going to take this game back, and I'm going to get my money back. And what I ended up getting at Christmas was some sort of puzzle or something. I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, <laughs> it was a big letdown, a major, major letdown. So uh, still, to this day, I would tell you, listen to your parents. If they tell you to hold off on something, chances are there's a good reason for that. But here was this game, this, this, this game that I'd wanted for so long, and my mom was ready to bless me not only with the game, but the newer, better version, better than I had expected, better than I had ever wanted, and this game was going to be mine. But I could not wait on her to do that, and so I lost out on that opportunity. Um, Abraham did something extremely similar, and you guys all know about this. God had promised Abraham that he was going to make him a huge nation, that his descendants would number with the stars, and that he would just become great Uh, amongst all mankind and that people would know his name forever and he promised you will have a son abraham's real old he's 70s 80s 90s before any of this happens and 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 he he didn't want to wait he didn't want to wait and so his wife sarah she had a maidservant and she said look i can't give you a kid uh so take my maidservant and 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 get her pregnant and we'll have a child with her and and we'll start making your nations 
And so Abraham jumps at that opportunity. He's like, yes, I've wanted this for so long. I've wanted a child. I've wanted this promise to come to fruition. And so he goes about things his own way. He's not patient enough to wait on God. And he doesn't do things the way that God would want him to do things. And quite frankly, God is so good, uh, a lot nicer than my mother was. Uh, he <laughs> still found a way uh, to bless Abraham. He still kept his promise to Abraham and, and blessed him with the uh, better uh, thing, which was Isaac, right, through his wife Sarah, rather than Ishmael through her maidservant. And God still gave him that, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't consequences. That doesn't mean that there's not consequences. And so today when we're talking about evangelism, we're going to be talking about things, going about things the right way, going about things in a godly way. We'll be in Genesis chapter 21, 8 through 13. We're going to jump around a little bit. This passage is right after uh, Abraham has Ishmael, right? He gets the maidservant, gets her pregnant, goes about things that way. And um, so this is the story. This is where it ends up. It says that the child grew and was weaned. That's talking about Ishmael. On the day that Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Uh, But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, her maidservant, the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of this slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. That matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, don't be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he's your offspring. So even though you went about things your way, even though you didn't do things the way I would have rather had you do them, I'm still going to find a way to bless you through this situation. That's one of the powers of God. That's one of the many amazing things about God. But what does this teach us about evangelism? Well, first and foremost, it tells us that by taking the matter into our own hands, we cheapen God's value. See, God had a great plan for Abraham. He had a great plan for Sarah. He was, he was going to give them Isaac, and he was going to build the nation that Abraham couldn't even comprehend through his offspring. God has a plan. I believe that he has a plan for each and every one of us and for each and every person that we come into contact with. Part of that plan is for us to be in a relationship with him. We know that we fit into that plan, not just because God wants to have a relationship with us, but because it's our job to bring people who aren't in relationship with God into a relationship with God. It's our job to evangelize. It's our job to share the gospel. But we need to make sure that we are introducing people to a real relationship with the real God. The problem is that we have far too many people who aren't introducing people to the real God. Okay? And that it's become an issue. They're introducing uh, people to the God who is the benefactor. They're introducing God... Uh, people to God, the giver of iPads and and fun experiences, but they're not introducing people to who God really is. See, and the God we serve is just that, a God who is meant to be served, right? We don't come into relationship with God because of all the things that he can do for us. We come into relationship with God because of who he is, because of reverence and respect for what it is that God has done and the things, yes, that he can bless us with, But it's not, God, I'm going to enter a relationship with you because I can get all these goodies. It's, God, I'm going to enter a relationship with you because you are God. And you can do amazing things. And you can change my life. And you can make me a better human being. But so often we just introduce people to this God who is only meant to 
fulfill all their dreams and, 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 and grant all their wishes. And that's just not who God is. In Deuteronomy 11.13, Matthew 27, or 37-40, Mark 12.30-31 tells us the same thing. So we're just going to look at Deuteronomy 11.13. But it tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul. In Deuteronomy 6.13, we are called to love the Lord your God and serve Him only. Right? It doesn't say love the Lord your God and let Him serve you. We are supposed to love the Lord our God and serve Him only. That's supposed to be a priority. A relationship with God that's built on being served rather than serving is a relationship that is destined to fail. I'm going to say that again. I hope I say it right again the second time. A relationship that's built on being served by God rather than serving God is a relationship that is destined to fail. Because this is what happens. When people aren't prospering, when people don't feel great about their situation, then automatically they think two things. One, this God isn't real. The, the God they've introduced me to isn't real. They turn their backs on God, or they're ultimately convinced that God is somehow punishing them for something that they've done in their life. But either way, they never come into a real relationship with the real God. And it's our job as Christians to introduce people to who God really is. Who God really is. And it's our job as Christians for people to understand that God is all they need. God is all people need. All the other things that we can offer, those things are great. But at the end of the day, God is the allure. God's the allure. God is what's bringing people in. It's not the giveaways that we can do. It's not the different fun services we can have or the programs we can implement. I'm not trashing those things. I'm not saying they're bad. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, God is the allure. And that if we connect people with the real God and not with the fun stuff that can happen at church, then when the stuff at church stops becoming fun or when things just aren't going the way that they want them to and when they didn't win the iPad and the giveaway, they still stick around because they have the relationship with that real God. And it's a real relationship. One of the issues with the gimmicks, at least in my opinion, is that they take the focus away from the value of God. They take the focus away from the value of God. And listen, I'm all for getting people in the doors, okay? I am all for getting people in the doors. I'm all for getting people in the doors in creative ways, okay? If people come to church because of an iPad giveaway, I will never apologize for them hearing the message of God through that opportunity, okay? I'm not trashing that type of stuff. And I, I listen, maybe to talk to people about God, it's going to require you to buy them dinner. Maybe it's, hey, if... If, you, if we can just talk about this, I'll buy your dinner. I'll, I'll pay for a meal, and we can have a good time, and, and you just have to hear me out for a few short seconds. I've, I've offered this a bunch of times. I'll offer it here again today. Anybody that you bring to church after church, I will buy them a beer and a burger next door. If that gets them here, if they will hear the message of God, I will do that. But here's the thing. When we offer these things, and when we're trying to attract people into church, when they get here, they have to learn about the real God. They have to learn about the real God, not the Easter Bunny God, not the Tooth Fairy God who's here to bless them and give them good things and make them feel wonderful about themselves. We have to introduce them to the God who's going to hold them accountable for their sins. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the first part of it, tells us that the wages of sin is death. Galatians 6.7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. 
We can't spend our whole lives outside of a relationship with God just doing good things and at the end of the day say, that person's going to heaven. Or, I don't know about their faith, but they were a good person and, and somehow God's going to bless that. And Listen, I'm, God's happy that they're a good person. But if he doesn't know them, they get the same response as the jerk who shows up at heaven's gate as well. Depart from me because I don't know you. I don't know you. We have to introduce people to that God who is going to hold them accountable. Psalms 145.20, The Lord watches over all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. See, God will punish people for their sins. He is going to hold them accountable for their actions. Even those of us who are forgiven of our sins, we still get held accountable for our actions. Some of us better watch out. But God is going to hold us accountable for the things that we've done in our life. Here's the thing, while Scripture makes it abundantly clear that God will hold people accountable and God will punish people for their sins, He also makes it clear that if we put our faith in Him and we strive to have a relationship with Him, He is all that we need to overcome those sins. And through that relationship with His Son and with Him, we can be forgiven of anything that we have ever done. People need to hear that message as well, but not just that message, not just the good God who only does good things. That's what happens. We put God in a box. We take one little character attribute of him and we say this is all that God is and it's not true. It'd be really unfair for me to say, well, Phil's just the guy that plays keyboard at church. He's a father and a husband and he works hard at his job. Sometimes he says, sometimes he works hard at his job. Sometimes it's a great job. You know what I mean? Just saying, kidding. Love you, Phil. We're best friends. Nobody be mad. Um, But it's not fair to take one tiny aspect of a person or a being and say, well, this is all that they are. This is all that they are. And if we only show people the God who is there for them and going to be great for them and going to give them good things and going to bless them and going to make their life you know, abundant and get them a raise and buy them a new house and get them a car, and what's going to happen when they don't get the raise, they don't get the car, they don't get the house, nothing seems to be working out in their lives? It's going to be what I said. This God isn't real or he really hates me right now. And either way, they're going to pull back. I don't know what this is, but I didn't sign up for that. Right? The Bible goes on to clear that, uh, go on to make it clear that God's all we need. Romans 6.23, the second half of it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Acts 3.19 tells us, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. John 3.36 says that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And that is the honest message that people need to hear. Now throughout this series, we've talked a lot about outlook, we've talked about mindset, we've talked about seeing the value in others, we've talked about the goal and the focus of evangelism. One thing we haven't talked about is the how-to. And maybe that will be helpful. Some of you will say, I have no idea how to evangelize. And I will stand here saying, I'm going to give tips this morning. Okay, but they're just that tips. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. But if I was to write a book on evangelism, it would be about a page and a half long, and it would have these four principles in it. And it would say, Paul Huff's Umi Manifesto on evangelism. It'd be a giant book, like 400 pages, and only the first one and a half pages would have anything on it. And it would be fantastic. And the rest would be for you to color or do whatever else it is that you want to do. But these are the four principles that I find most important when it comes to evangelism. The first is commonality. Okay, when you're talking to somebody about Christ, when you want to have that conversation, 
you need to find common ground. And the most easy place for you to find it is that you're a sinner. Not they're a sinner, you're a sinner. For all have sinned. And we fit in that category, in case you were wondering. Even forgiven, we are in that category. So the most easy place for us to meet somebody where they're at is to admit we're all sinners. I am a sinner. Trust me. You want to hear about some specifics? I can tell you specifics. But I've sinned in my life. And if anybody knows how to sin, it's this guy. It's this guy. I always start with that. Look, we, yes, you know, I I get this a lot. Oh, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved? Actually, yes, you are a sinner and you do need to be saved. But you know who else was a sinner? Me. I am a sinner like nobody has been a sinner and I needed salvation as much as anybody in the world. And yet I found it through God. Commonality. Find common ground. Find common ground. The second thing that we need to focus on or we need to address is imperfection. We are imperfect. We are imperfect. And again, that's our imperfection, not their imperfection. We are imperfect. And we will never be perfect. One of the biggest issues that non-Christians have with Christians is that they think we all walk around thinking we're perfect because we go to church and we know Jesus and we're so awesome. And we're jerks at work and we treat people poorly and we don't tip well and all these other things. Like, you know what I mean? So they see that and they're like, look at these perfect people who suck. But here's the deal. We're not perfect. And if anybody knows that we're not perfect, it's Christians. Like if anybody knows how imperfect you are, it's you. And you can share that with somebody and make it known to them that, listen, I'm not coming from a place of high, I'm not coming from high ground here, right? Like it's not flaming arrows shooting down on you. I'm actually probably a little bit below you and somehow God raised me up to maybe be equal. But I am imperfect and there is nothing in me, in myself that is good. And I know that I'm a sinner. But then we bring up the third thing, and that's grace. That's grace. See, the only thing that separates a Christian from a non-Christian is the grace that we have experienced through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. We don't have that. We're goners. We're dead. We're looking at destruction. We're ending up in hell. The only thing that separates a Christian from a non-Christian is grace. Now, hopefully... Hopefully, the more time that we spend in that grace, the more time that we spend in that relationship, we do start to see our life change and we can point out differences, but there's not the time for it now. Okay? What people need to understand is the only thing that separates a Christian from a non-Christian is the grace that we have experienced through Jesus Christ and through God the Father. And they need to know that that grace is available. Availability is thing number four. Grace is available to everyone. It's available to everyone. And if you think that you're one of those people that lies outside of that everyone lane, the word everyone literally means everyone. Like you are included. And so it doesn't matter what you've done and it doesn't matter where you've been and it doesn't matter if in your past you've cursed God because you can apologize for all those things and you can repent of those things and you can come into a relationship of God regardless of of what your previous standing was. Regardless of what it is that you think that you've done that makes you so bad and makes you unworthy and makes you not able to come to God. Because God knows. 
God knows that we're all sinners. God knows that we're all imperfect. He wants to give us grace, and He's made it available to every single person. And the, the way that we obtain that grace is that we admit that we know that we're sinners. We admit that we know that we've done wrong. We admit that we are imperfect. We believe that Jesus is who He says He is. We believe that He can save us from our sins. And we confess that Jesus is God's Son. And we confess that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. That's why baptism is so important. If you haven't been baptized but you consider yourself a Christian, come talk to me. That's why baptism is so important because it's that public confession of our faith saying that I know what I was and I know what God is making me. And that's available to everyone. That's available to everyone. And there's no perfect 10-step way to have this conversation. And sometimes you'll get asked questions that you don't know the answer to. You know the best answer you can give somebody? I don't know. I don't know everything. I'm imperfect. What I do know is my experience. What I do know is the difference that he's made for me. But I don't know the answer to that question. We can try to find it. We can look it up together. Or I can look it up and get back to you. But there should be nothing that's holding us back from having this conversation with people in our lives that we love. And there's nothing that should be holding us back from having this conversation with people in our lives that we loathe. And there's nothing in our lives that should hold us back from having this conversation with people that we're indifferent about. Get my drift? All nations. Everyone. It's available to all. Listen, I hope that this series has inspired something in you that says, I'm supposed to be sharing my faith and I'm going to start doing that. I hope that there's something about this series that has wanted you to call up a friend and invite them to our church or ask a coworker to visit with you or whatever else it may be. I hope that there's something in what we have talked about that has made you see the importance as a Christian, that has made you see your job, that has made you see the role in other people, that has made you see the value in what we're talking about, that has inspired you to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And just like all things, the first time you do it, it's scary and it feels awkward and you're not quite sure of yourself. But the more you do it, the more you share, the more you talk to people, the easier it becomes. The easier it becomes. So I hope that there's something in this that makes you want to say, I really think that I have something here to offer people. And I really think that Crosspoint has something of value. And so I'm going to invite people to come through these doors and to learn about the real Jesus. The real Jesus who's going to hold them accountable for all their sins, but will also forgive them of those sins if they simply ask and repent and seek to change their life. I hope that there's something there that will do that. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your message this last five weeks. I hope that people have received your word out of it through all my imperfections because God the last person in here that's perfect or even has a chance at it is me I truly believe that but God I hope people have still seen through this the value that your creation has and the value that you have placed on human life and the the call that you have placed on our lives the command that you have given us to share our faith and to share the good news that we have and and to simply share the difference that you've made in our lives God, while it can be scary and it can be intimidating, if we're ever to be the church that I think that Crosspoint can be and that you want us to be, we need to do this collectively. It needs to be a group effort and we need to be sharing our faith and we need to be inviting people through these doors 
And we need to understand that as individuals, we can make a difference. And when we do that together, we can make a huge difference. God, we've said for a long time that we are here to serve. And I think so often we think about how we can serve other people, but not enough about how we can serve you. And I know that in serving other people, in a way we are serving you, but God, I pray that you make us people who open our hearts to the message that you would have for us as individuals. Help us to be open to serving in any capacity that you may have called us to do. Help us to be willing to serve in capacities that we're not thrilled about just because we know that it can further the kingdom and that it can make a difference in someone's life. Help us to be people who are brave enough and courageous enough to step out and be a little uncomfortable to share our faith because Jesus didn't care about comfort when he went to the cross. Jesus didn't care about what people would think about him when he spoke your truth. God, we are supposed to be like him. We are supposed to be little Christ roaming this earth. So help us to be people who are don't care about being comfortable and who don't care about maybe being rejected, but help us to be people who see the value in delivering the right message, your message, whenever we get that opportunity. I ask for all these things and we ask for all these things in your son's name. Amen.